Thank you, Ricky and Amy. I appreciate that ministry and music. Today, we are going to consider the circumstances under which Thomas came to believe in the resurrected Lord. Thomas, unfortunately, has often become associated with doubting. Probably, if you think of Thomas, that's what you think of, the doubting Thomas. Uh, It is uh, common in uh, preaching to refer to him in that particular manner. Well, the reality is that uh, Thomas is not presented in a very flattering light in the book of John. There are only three references to John, uh, excuse me, to Thomas in the book of John. As I say, none of them are particularly flattering. The first is an association with Jesus' intention to go and raise Lazarus from the dead. They don't understand what Jesus is about. Uh, He says that uh, he's going to awaken Lazarus out of sleep. They think that he's talking about a literal sleep. And then he goes on to say plainly, uh, Lazarus is dead. And he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And he's thankful that they are not present so they might see and believe. Upon which Thomas says, well, let us go and die with him. It just goes over his head as to what is going to take place. And he shows the commitment and says, let's go and die with him. Then we have the discourse before the crucifixion where Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one comes to the Father but by him. And Jesus said, you know the way. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. And how can we know the way? Uh, We don't know. And then in this passage, in verse 25, the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I shall see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. As we... Look at this account on the surface. As a pastor, I'm tended to throw up my hands and say, what do you do with this? What's the application? Are we to say, Lord, unless we see the nail prints in his hands and put our, our hands in the side, we're not going to believe? Is this passage teaching us that we have the right to demand of God that he prove himself to us and that we will withhold our belief and confidence in Jesus until he does so? So I don't think it means that. Is the passage saying, our faith is far superior than that of Thomas? Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who do not see and yet believe. Are we to go away saying, pat ourselves on the back and say, well, we're, we're good people. Look at Thomas. He had to see, but we don't see and we believe. We're far superior than Thomas. We, we are far better Christians Is that the message that we're to go with? Is that the application? Feel good about yourself because you're better than Thomas? I don't think so. I think the application is far, far richer than that and also more subtle. There is a lot on this text that's going on underneath the surface that as you delve into the the depths of these verses, I think they come alive in a way in which Oftentimes, they're not considered. So today, we want to look at this passage in in great depth. We're going to look at particularly the section that deals with Thomas. We're not going to deal with the the Holy Spirit and the fact that uh, your sins are forgiven. What does all that mean? I'm going to deal with that at the end of the book of John. I'll come back to those verses. 
But right now, I'm going to center on verse 24 and following. So, the theme is Christ's graciousness in dealing with unbelief. Christ's graciousness in dealing with unbelief. We begin by first noting the unbelief of Thomas, verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So, we have the person of Thomas, his name. First, we're given his name in Arabic, which means twin. And then we're given his name in Hebrew, excuse me, in Greek, which means twin. So, we're told twice that Thomas is known as the twin. Uh, it's amazing how your circumstances uh, uh, affect the way that uh, you look at a text. I never really thought about that, except now that my daughter is giving birth to identical twins, I started thinking about twins. And I said to myself, where's Thomas's twin? We have James and John, they're brothers, and they're worshiping Jesus and following him. Where's his twin? Did he die in childbirth? Was he not serving God? I don't know. But he's not, or she is not, one of the twelve. She's not an apostle, or he's not an apostle. Maybe it's a Jacob and Esau situation. I don't know. But here's this twin. And the explanation that's given for Thomas's unbelief. I think this is important. It was due to his absence on the occasion when Jesus presented himself to the disciples. Notice verse 24 begins with the uh, conjunction, but. But. It is a conversive conjunctive. It is showing a disparity in the relationship. Jesus appears to the disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. Where to see what distinguished Thomas from the other disciples in failing to believe was not rather his personality, but his absence. The other apostles had proven themselves to be people that had little faith as well. The other apostles did not believe the testimony of Mary Magdalene when she came and said that she had seen the risen Lord. Nor had they believed when the disciples that were on the road to Emmaus and seen Jesus came and told them that they had seen Jesus. And in Luke, we have the parallel account to the resurrection appearance to these disciples in John chapter 20, starting at verse 19. Listen to the Lucan account. Jesus appears, but they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for if a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So there was no difference. The other disciples, when they saw Jesus, they were frightened and they were afraid. And Jesus said, here, look at my hands. Look at my side. So Thomas really gets a bad rap. 
when we refer to him as the doubting Thomas. We could easily refer to the doubting apostles. For he is no different. The only difference is that when Jesus had appeared and showed himself to the apostles, here are my hands, here are my sides, that Thomas wasn't there. Thomas wasn't present. Why he was not there, we're not told. But we can see readily the tragedy of his not being with them. Thomas misses the great blessing of having seen the resurrected Lord and enjoying the work of the Holy Spirit that was accomplished in his brethren. Uh, There are blessings, wonderful blessings, incredible blessings that we can miss out on if we are not present when the Spirit of God chooses to work and move among his people. We run a great risk in absenting ourselves from the gathering together because we never know when God is going to do an incredible and mighty work among us. Andrew Murray is an individual that served in Africa for many, many years. And he prayed repeatedly for revival to break out in his church. And uh, Andrew Murray was a, a great pietist. And he was praying for over 20 years, faithfully, regularly, diligently, asking God to really pour out his spirit and just do a tremendous work in their midst. Well, Andrew Murray uh, took uh, a month to uh, do itinerant preaching elsewhere. And while he was gone, there was a guest preacher in the pulpit and God answered the prayers of Andrew Murray and the Spirit of God was poured out in an incredible way. And revival just swept through the church and swept through the continent. And as Andrew Murray came back, he wept because he wasn't present to experience it and to see it firsthand. Well, here's Thomas. He's not present to experience it firsthand. So let's look at the character of Thomas's unbelief. First, it was a persistent unbelief. If you look at verse 25, the other disciples, therefore, were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. They were saying to him, uh, good translation. Uh, some say they said the idea is that they repeatedly were saying to him. They didn't just hear it once, but they were continually saying to Peter, 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 we've seen, excuse me, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But uh, he was persistent in his unbelief for a, a period of eight days. Eight days has transpired from when Jesus first appeared to the disciples to when he's going to appear to the disciples and to Thomas. But Thomas displayed a willful unbelief. There is an obstinate rejection of truth on his part. Look at verse 25. The other disciples, therefore, were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said, Unless I shall see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and put his finger into the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. The statement is not, I cannot believe, but rather, I will not believe. There was a sound basis for Thomas to believe in the resurrection of Jesus, but he dismissed that truth out of hand. There was an incredible transformation that took place in the lives of the the apostles. They are down. They are discouraged. 
They are forlorn. And then to a man. They are telling Thomas, Thomas, we have seen the resurrected Lord. He's alive. And Thomas says, I'm not believing it. And they tell him time and time again, I'm I'm not believing it unless I put my hands in the fingers of his hands and side. He demanded to experience what the others had experienced. You see, this request didn't come out of thin air. But according to our text, the other apostles were already invited to do that. Thomas says, unless I do that, I'm not going to believe. So, the graciousness of Jesus in leading Thomas to a full and deep faith. Thomas had been very demanding in verse 25. But he said to them, unless I shall see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand to his side, I will not believe. As I said, that demand did not arise out of thin air. It was occasioned by Jesus' visitation of the disciples earlier. Earlier. Look at verse 21. Uh, Excuse me. Verse 20. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So they saw him. Jesus graciously confronts the unbelief of Thomas. Jesus certainly was not obligated to meet Thomas's demand. And it certainly wasn't a reward of Thomas's faith. It's purely the grace of God that God appeared to Thomas. Under no obligation whatsoever to meet Thomas's demand. Verse 26. And after 8 days again his disciples were inside. And Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be with you. Very similar to what had happened just a week earlier. Jesus again appears to the disciples, but this time Thomas is with them. Verse 26. Thomas was with them. This time, he's present. I think there's here a lesson on how to deal with unbelief. Thomas had his doubts. Thomas had his concerns. Thomas expressed a willfulness that he would not believe. But, incredibly, he's still gathering with the disciples. He's still following them. He's still a part of them even though he has dismissed their testimony. But he's in a place where his doubts can be removed. He's gathering with God's people. The best place to deal with our doubts is with the congregation of God's people. Doubts should never cause us to stop attending church. The best way to deal with doubts is to come and to expect and believe that God will be at work. It's also interesting that the disciples did not uh, separate themselves from Thomas 
or they did not expel Thomas, or they did not discourage Thomas for, from being with them, uh, he was still welcomed. And we need to welcome people in our midst. We need to be long-suffering. We need to be patient. We need to be encouraging. We need to be helpful with those that express doubts, and in fact, those that express unbelief. And we will have people from time to time that worship with us, that do not know, and do not even profess to know, the Lord Jesus Christ is their Savior. We should encourage them, be thankful that they are coming, and hope that the Spirit of God will work and bring them to faith. But, Jesus appears to Thomas and invites Thomas to touch his hands inside. Verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here your finger and see my hands. Reach here your hand and put it into my side. And be not unbelieving, but believing. Don't be unbelieving, but believing. There is no record in the text as to what Thomas did. Did he actually reach out and touch the hands of Jesus and the side of Jesus? I don't know, but I would note that this is a command. Notice in verse 27, reach here your finger. He doesn't say if you want to. He doesn't say if you'd like to. He doesn't say if this is going to remove your doubt. He gives him a command. He says, here, touch this. Here, put your hands here. He's telling Thomas, I want you to do this. I want you to experience this. Jesus does not want any lingering doubt in the mind of Thomas. He wants Thomas to be assured beyond a shadow of a doubt he doesn't want Thomas, two weeks later, to say, man, I wish I would have touched him. I wonder if that was just a vision. I wonder if that was just an hallucination. I wonder if, if that wasn't just an apparition. I wonder if that was really the physical body of Jesus. Jesus was making sure that Thomas would know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Here, touch this. Here, put your hand here. Know that I have risen. Be not unbelieving, but believing. And so, Jesus calls Thomas to faith. At the end of verse 27, be not unbelieving, but believing. The proof that Thomas was seeking was supplied. The message was true in its fullest sense. This is the body that hung upon the cross. This is the body that the grave clothes could not contain any longer. The risen Jesus was not a ghost. It was not an apparition. It was not a vision. It was the body that was in the tomb, out of the tomb. It was the Jesus who had walked with them and taught them that was now standing in their presence. And Thomas, you must believe. It is I. And this belief, we are called on to believe as well in the resurrected Lord 
Jesus Christ. Hang with me. I'll get to the application in a few moments. The faith of Thomas expressed, verse 28. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Literally translated, Thomas answered and said to him, The Lord of me, the God of me. Thomas makes an incredible declaration. Thomas says something now that the disciples had not previously said as clearly as this. That is, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. This is actually the climax of the book of John. Because now we've come full circle. It starts in John 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. So it starts off by saying the Word was God. Then, John 1.14, that Word became flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So, this Word became flesh, became a living being. Jesus Christ entered this world. He was God. And now we come to the end of John. And we have Thomas looking at the resurrected Lord and saying, You are my Lord. You are my God. It's an incredible and wonderful declaration. The Jehovah's Witnesses, of course, do not believe that Jesus is God. That he's not equal with God the Father. They do not believe in a Trinitarian God. So, what do the Jehovah's Witnesses do with this passage? I think it's noteworthy because it's a pretty clear statement about Jesus being God. So what do they do with it? Answer. They say, at this point, Thomas is swearing. He is looking at the resurrected Jesus and in essence essence says, Oh my God! It's an explicative. Wow! But not that he is the God. Uh, They're just responding in amazement. Let me point out to you that this text clearly refutes that. Notice the refutation. It's not what the text states. First, Thomas does not say, Oh my God! They don't even translate it that way. He says, The Lord of me, the God of me. Secondly, Thomas is directing his words to Jesus, not the Father. Thomas answered and said to him. These are words directed to Jesus. These are not an explicative address to the Father. Thirdly, Jesus commends Thomas for believing rather than rebuke him for swearing. Jesus doesn't say, Thomas, don't talk like that. 
That'd be blasphemous. No righteous Jew would ever refer to God in that way. You can't have it both ways. You can't be devout and talk like that. Verse 29, Jesus commends him. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. So, Jesus is saying, Thomas, you believe. Not, Thomas, you're swearing. There's nothing in the passage that leads to that kind of understanding. Here, Thomas personally identifies with Jesus. He, Thomas, does not simply say, now I know that Jesus is Lord. Now I know that Jesus is God. Rather, it's personal. Verse 28. Thomas answered, said to him, my Lord and my God. There is a personal identification with Jesus. Application. That is the profession that we are to make. Look at verse 31. But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and the believing you may have life in his name. We are to believe that Jesus is God. We are to believe that Jesus is the Lord. Not in some theological, theoretical sense. But we're to come to the very same position that Thomas did. And that is Jesus is our Lord and that Jesus is our God. We're to be making a commitment to Jesus. We are to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. Now we start getting to the application. Let's look at Jesus' response to Thomas' profession of faith. Verse 29. Now, depending on what translation you have, it reads a bit differently. Verse 29 in the NIV. Then Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Semicolon. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. You've got a King James. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, Because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Colon. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet believed. If you have an NAS, Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Question mark. Blessed are they who do not see and yet believe. Now that may not seem like anything to you, but if you're an interpreter, it means a great deal. Because those are three different statements. The first in the NIV, then Jesus said to him, uh, told him, because you have seen me, you have not believed, semicolon, blessed are those who have not seen yet believed, makes the second part of the verse dependent upon the first part. The colon, which the King James uses, simply says, here are two sentences, and we don't know the relationship that they enjoy to each other. The question mark of the, of the numerical standard says the first is a question, And the second is a statement. Now, in the ancient texts, there is no punctuation. That comes much later. There is no diversification. There's no chapter 1, verse 1, chapter 2, verse 2. There's none of that. But there aren't even punctuation marks. 
So that whenever you translate from an ancient text, you have to figure out the punctuation. You have to figure out where the sentence begins, where the sentence ends. You have to figure out whether it's a declarative statement that demands a period. It's an exclamation that demands an exclamation point. Is it a question that requires a, a, a question mark? It's all done by context. It's all done by looking at what is going on in the text. So, we have to ask ourselves, does Thomas's seeing the resurrected Lord explain the reason for believing? Or is Jesus questioning Thomas? Thomas, are you believing simply because you saw? I think that that is the right interpretation. I side with the New American Standard. I think it's a question. Thomas? Because you have seen, have you believed? Have you believed? In other words, God's grace is far greater in this text than we realize, and it's far greater than Thomas realized. The other disciples did not immediately believe when they saw the resurrected Jesus. Turn with me to Luke. Luke 24. Verse 37. Here is Luke's account of what took place that earlier week when Jesus appeared to the disciples. Luke 24, 37. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. So when they saw Jesus, they said, whoa, here's the spirit. He said unto them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and blood, uh, excuse me, flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Now jump down to verse 44. 24, 44. Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, and that all things which were written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. They didn't believe till he opened their minds. They weren't convinced until he revealed the truth of the scriptures to them. When they first saw Jesus, they said, here's a spirit. This really can't be Jesus. And Jesus opens their eyes. That's why I want to save the whole aspect of the Holy Spirit. Because this passage is about what the Spirit of God does. Well, the Spirit of God leads them to believe. Interestingly enough, repeatedly in the book of John, seeing is not necessarily believing. Listen to these verses. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. 
Notice what the text does not say. All believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. There were some that saw and believed. There were some that saw and did not believe. Listen to John 11. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. It's referring to the resurrection of Lazarus. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Both saw what Jesus did. Some believed, some didn't. They saw the resurrection of Lazarus. John 6.36, Jesus said, I say unto you that you also have seen me and believe not. Thomas said, I won't believe unless I see. I won't believe unless I touch. Jesus says, Thomas, do you believe because you see and touch? No. No. Because seeing and touching wouldn't be sufficient for you. There's more to it than that. There is a blessing of God associated with believing. Look at verse 29. Jesus said to him, Blessed... Uh, Excuse me. Because you have seen me, have you believed? I think it's a question. Blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. The blessedness of those who have not seen and believed. The text does not say, more blessed are those that have not seen and believed. doesn't say that. doesn't say more blessed are they. Nor does it say, but blessed are they. It simply asserts that they are blessed. This is not a rebuke of Thomas, for all the apostles had seen in order to believe. It is an affirmation of God's graciousness to those who have believed without seeing. Seeing does not guarantee believing. Remember the account that Jesus has an interaction with Peter in the book of Matthew. It says, When Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? They said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said unto them, But who do you say that I am? Simon answered and said to him, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed that unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. Peter, you're blessed. Because you understand that, not because you were told it. You understand it because my Father in heaven is at work in you. Yes. Thomas had the privilege of seeing the resurrected Jesus. But how did he know that Jesus was God? How did Thomas know that this one that came forth from the dead that was standing before him wasn't just a great prophet? How did he know he wasn't just a great messenger of God? How did he move from understanding by the nail prints in his side and, and, uh, excuse me, nail prints in his hand and wound in his side? How did he come to know that Jesus is God? Why was he the first to say that? 
Because of the grace of God. Here's the application. First, we are to identify with Thomas's failure to have believed. There is something inwardly within us that just wants to condemn Thomas. There is just something inwardly that says to ourselves how unreasonable it was for Thomas not to have believed, right? Don't you just kind of shake your head at Thomas and say, Thomas, what's it going to take? Here are these disciples, and you know them, and they tell you that they, you have seen Jesus, and you don't believe it. Why don't you believe that? Well, it should be self-condemning. Why don't we believe that? Why don't we accept that if we don't? Why don't we exercise faith? If we see the failure in Thomas, we ought to see the failure in ourselves if we don't believe. Yes, he should have believed based on the testimony of others. We have everything that we need in order to believe. Look at John 20, verses 30 and 31. Many other signs, therefore, Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you have life in his name. We need to see ourselves as blessed. Because we have everything that we need in order to believe. These are written so that you would believe. This is God's visitation of us. This is God's appearance to us. This is God's evidence to us. How blessed we are to have the scriptures. You know, we can say, well, Thomas got to see what nobody else saw. Many of us are getting to hear things that nobody else has heard. There are many places on the face of this earth that never even heard the name of Jesus. You understand that? There are many places that have heard the name of Jesus that don't have the word of God in their language. And there are many, many people that have the word of God in their language that don't repeatedly hear this message. We are a blessed people. If you're here this morning and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your, as your, as your Savior, you're culpable. You're responsible. There is no excuse for your failing to believe. You have been sitting under the preaching of the book of John for over a year that clearly depicts Jesus as Lord and Savior. We should believe. We are responsible for failing to believe. And furthermore, if we don't believe the Scriptures, we won't believe. Here's a strong statement. If you refuse to believe in Jesus Christ and say, I need more proof. If after hearing the preaching of the word of God and you say, well, pastor, if I could just see Jesus, you know, if I could have a Thomas experience, if I could put my fingers in the prints of his hand, and my hand in the wound of his side, 
Of course I'd believe. Sure I'd believe. And maybe this morning you're hiding behind that. You're saying, well, boy, I wish I could believe, but there are just so many doubts in my mind. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Luke. Luke. Luke chapter 16. I'm going to start reading verse 28. This is an account that Jesus gives of the story of a rich man and Lazarus. The rich man has died. And uh, he dies without believing. And so he's in a place of torment. And in this place of torment, he wishes and desires that his siblings, his family, would be spared the place of torment that he is in. Notice verse 28, Luke 16. For I have five brothers. So he asked that someone would be sent back, that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Send somebody to warn them that they don't come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Abraham, if someone from the dead would go to my brothers, they would believe. Look at verse 31. But he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. If they won't believe the word of God, they're not going to be persuaded if Jesus rises from the dead. If you refuse to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning, based on what the word of God teaches, then I can clearly and absolutely affirm to you that it would not matter if Jesus stood here in his presence. You'd say, how do I really know that's Jesus? How do I know that's not an imposter? How do I know that's not somebody who looks like him? After all, I've never met Jesus. I've never saw Jesus. And you realize that Jesus Christ is going to return to this earth. And he's going to reign over a people. And there will be a people that still don't believe in him. And they're going to be condemned. This passage teaches us two things. First, the blessedness of believing. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, you're a blessed people. Because God has opened your eyes. God has done a work in you more than you realize, more than I realize. Thomas said, if I put my hands in, in my, be able to put my hands in his, fingerprints of his hands in the wound of his side, I'll believe. No. That's not why you believe, Thomas. You believe because the Spirit of God opened your heart and mind to understand these truths. And secondly, we're to understand the culpability. We're to understand how guilty we are if we don't believe in Jesus. We who would wag our heads at Thomas need to wag our heads at ourselves. 
We who say Thomas should have believed need to say we need to believe. And we need to understand how clear the scriptures really are. They're definitive. They say Jesus is God. They say Jesus rose from the dead. There's no equivocating. There's no argument over it. That's what the Word of God asserts. And the Word of God is truth. And the Word of God has been proven time and time again. It's prophecies are true. And tonight we're going to look at more about how we know the Word of God is true. It's truth. And if you refuse to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are damning yourself for all eternity. And you will have no one to blame but yourself. There is no reason not to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He's risen from the dead. He is Lord. And He is God. Let's pray.